Mastermind Extrication, Day 1. Along with Commander Pentad, Dr. Cakes, and Commander Metricon, I've been assigned to participate in the rescue of Captain Adem Tuzek and the crew of the USS Prite. A mining warhead was detonated 28 kilos below the surface of Mastermind, and equipment transported for life support and intel gathering. Operations has been established, and we are ready to move forward with Phase 2. We will monitor movements, comms, and cybersecurity in an attempt to find out where Mastermind are keeping the USS Prite's captain and crew. My job is to maintain equipment and monitor Mastermind security communications. It isn't the most exciting work, but it's my work, and I'm going to do the best I can. I couldn't tell you why the ocean meets the shore, but I'll be damned if I let my team down. So I monitor. Anything to report, Lieutenant? Nothing worth noting, Commander. Just chatter. Commander Pinhead? Their encryptions are sophisticated. It would take months to break. Time, among other things, is a luxury we don't have. Doctor? Population appears to be less than we expected. There also seems to be some pretty severe differences in height and weight among certain portions of the species. I don't understand. There are short people and tall people in every species. You're wicked tall and I'm not. How is this any different? Lieutenant, is it truly worth noting that you're below average human height? That's not true. Remember your rank, Mr. Cobb. Don't get short with me. Did you make a Did he just make a joke? May I remind you, Lieutenant, Vulcans do not joke. Right. Sorry, Commander. Insubordination is no small matter. While it is not my intention to belittle you in front of the team, small problems often escalate if left uncorrected. So long as you are willing to address those shortcomings, we will see eye to eye. Are we clear, Lieutenant? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. <laughs> Dr. Cakes, please explain the significance of the height difference. The height of residents in closest proximity to our current location, a town known as Wenigland, are 1.143 meters. In contrast, the average occupant of the world's largest city, Smargard, are about 1.524 meters. The strange part isn't so much that there is such a drastic difference in height, but that these people seem to have grouped themselves based on that factor. Fascinating, particularly when one considers the relatively small size of the planet and the short distance between Wenigland and Smargard. I would be curious to study whether environment or society played a larger factor in this segregation. Hmm. Perhaps another time, Commander. Of course, Mr. Metricon. But me... Uh, sorry. Don't apologize, Mr. Cobb. Go ahead. What if we did investigate a little further? If there was intentional segregation, there could be animosity. We may have an ally here and not even know it. Intriguing proposition, Lieutenant. I will attempt to access general files regarding history and population. It is reasonable to assume that data would be more easily accessible. Excellent. Lieutenant, intensify surveys of Wenigland. Let's see what they have to say. Aye, aye, Commander. Tuning in to Wenigland. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Admirals. You're listening to episode 214 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast. Recorded on Thursday, March 19th, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, March 23rd at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Cookie. And I'm Jace. So what do we have this week, Cookie? This week we check out the story of the city on the edge of forever, the way it was intended to be told and some judicial proceedings in NERD COURT. In Star Trek Online News, we have an unfortunate topic to address, but we talk with MMO industry expert Simon Ludgate and discuss how it might affect a game like Star Trek Online. Later, I give my review of the Herald Sphere queue, currently on the Tribble test server, 
and we'll keep tracking those devs so that you stay informed of the special posts related to the game. Finally, before we wrap the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. The Thursday night live recordings of our episodes are so much more fun when you join us in the chat room. So be a part of the production around 8 p.m. Eastern Time, that's 5 p.m. Pacific, Thursday nights, only at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash live. Okay, this is it. If you're listening to this episode on Monday, March 23rd, then you only have another day or so to vote for Priority One Podcast in Best Produced and Gaming Categories in the 10th Annual People's Choice Podcast Awards. You nominated us. Now it's time to make sure we see this through to the end. Get everyone you know to visit podcastawards.com and vote for Priority One Podcast in the Best Produced and Gaming Categories. Voting ends March 24th at 11 p.m. Eastern. Be sure to check your email and verify your vote. Check your spam, too. Reach out to us throughout the week in between shows. You can follow us on facebook.com forward slash priority one podcast or on Twitter via at STO priority one. And if you're in game, catch the cast, crew, and fleet mates by joining the priority one chat. To do that, just type forward slash channel underscore join priority one inside the game's chat box. Now let's trek out the city on the edge of forever and head to Nerdcourt and defend William T. Riker. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. City on the Edge of Forever is one of the most beloved episodes in all of Star Trek. It shows up on best episode lists, whether media generated or fan voted, and many would agree it holds such a place not only in all of Trek, but all of sci-fi, possibly even all of television. Despite this, the writer of the episode, legendary science fiction author Harlan Ellison, is well known to have never been happy with the edits that his teleplay underwent. Uncle Harlan, as some fans may know him, is admittedly a little notorious as a curmudgeon. I believe he was quoted at last year's Star Trek Las Vegas as saying, get off my lawn. But despite that, (laughs) his signing had maybe the longest lines at the whole convention. That was thanks to Nick Taco Fang's Yes, yes, it was legendary. I wish I'd been there for it. That said, it's finally going to be possible to see Uncle Harlan's original vision for City on the Edge of Forever, not just from reading the original script, but in the form of a fully illustrated graphic novel produced by IDW. Some highlighted differences from the episode as aired include a better fleshed out relationship between Kirk and Edith Keeler, more focus on the friendship between Kirk and Spock, and an important role played by Yeoman Janice Rand as we see more results for the crew in the altered future timeline. I'm especially interested in seeing these expanded female roles for Keeler and Rand myself. The City on the Edge of Forever graphic novel is out now, actually, in comic shops, on Amazon, and digitally via Comixology. So I'm pretty excited about this, but what do you guys think? Is there a TOS episode that beats City on the Edge of Forever for you guys? I'm a sucker for time travel, so it's always been one of my favorites. It's been a while since I've watched all of them, the original series episodes, but I've always liked Man Trap, the... uh one with the salt vampires. Even when I was little, I remember that one. It's been one that I've always remembered and I've liked. <laughs> and any, even when I see salt, sometimes I think about it. So I don't have a favorite TOS episode or something that goes even beyond that. I think I, you know, I watch the original series not... I don't watch it the same way I watch The Next Generation or any of the, the following series. Um, but I will say this, though, is that I regret not getting on the IDW wagon much sooner because they've been churning out some consistently good content as far as I understand. And what I do pick up and read, I really enjoy. So I think it's time that I try to get myself a subscription to to these comics. You know what the problem is, though, is that I'm debating whether or not I want the actual physical copy or if I'm okay with digital download because there's just something about owning the comic itself, right? But anyway... I digress. I think that IDW is doing some great stuff, and I'd love to try to get my hands on more of it and even possibly do some more reviews here on the show. Oh, that's a good point. Uh, I will give one caveat that some folks mentioned online since we're talking about it, about the digital copies. Apparently, the Kindle edition is fairly hard to read the text. I haven't heard any issues with the comicsology or, you know, obviously, if you just get a version that you can look at on your computer screen that you can enlarge. But I guess on Kindle devices, it, mu- it must be hard to enlarge the text or something. People gave it one-star reviews. So, I have something to talk about. Who's the most overrated character in Star Trek? Is it Khan? How about Cisco? 
Is it Commander William T. Riker? <gasps> well, it's a good thing we have a place where we can settle this in a fair and just manner. Nerd Court! Created by Gary Witta and directed by Adam Stein, in conjunction with Maker Studios, Nerd Court addresses some of the most contentious debates in the history of Trekdom. This episode, The Trial of Star Trek's William T. Riker, questions his reputation as one of the greatest Star Trek characters ever conceived. The video is very tongue-in-cheek, and but the production value is great. Better yet, the episode featured the leading expert on Commander Riker, none other than Jonathan Frakes himself. Now, if you've ever had the opportunity of watching Frakes live at a convention, then you know that the guy does not take himself seriously at all. And when he teams up with Brent Spiner, the two of them are just <laughs> hilarious. Oh my gosh. He loves Star Trek and embraces the nerddom wholeheartedly. And this episode is a really great glimpse into that. So don't miss the video. You can check it out on the Skybound channel on YouTube. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. I loved that video so much. It was so funny. And, like, all the awesome things about William Riker, he redid them, a lot of them, in that video for us. I really thought it was going to be cringy. I'm not a big internet video watcher myself, but it was really good. He does the chair, the chair move, where he throws his <laughs> leg over the chair before he sits down. He reenacted the end of Best of Both Worlds. Oh, that was so good. It's really entertaining. I think everybody should watch it. And you're right about him at conventions. I was at a convention in Dallas, and it was Brent Spiner, Michael Dorn, and Jonathan Frakes. And what they did was they didn't announce Jonathan Frakes at first. They just announced Brent Spiner and Michael Dorn. And then Jonathan Frakes was out in the audience and pretended to ask a question. And he was like, I got a question. I got a question. And then they called on him. And then he asked, like, the general, I mean, I don't want to say stupid questions, but they were pretty, like, I'm guessing that they had him do this to get all of these questions out of the way since it was a Q&A. So he asked all the generic, like, what's it like to be in space? How did it feel to be transported? You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> the kind of stuff I'm guessing they must get asked. I don't know but he got all that out of the way he moved around pretended he was different people each question they kept calling on him yeah he gets in on the audience i have a video of it actually because i took a video it's on my old youtube channel but it was so funny and he like was the life of the party well have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about a new advancement in science or tech or a funny video maybe a comic that you've started reading then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Admirals, if you don't already know, there have been reports that several Perfect World Entertainment and Cryptic employees were laid off on Monday, March 16th. Although there has been no official comment from PWE or Cryptic, several of the former employees had hit social media that same day to announce their departure. What we do know thus far from social media and changes to the dev tracker is that Star Trek Online lost at the very least a content designer, a very reputable one at that, and community manager Captain Smirk. Additionally, Massively Overpowered reported that 18 of Cryptic Studios developers were laid off, half of those being from the Neverwinter team but that the majority of the layoffs happened at the Perfect World Entertainment Redwood Shores offices in Northern California. Now, it didn't take long for trolls and doomsday prophets to hit the forums, social media, subreddit, and the comment section for any of the news outlets that covered the story. The harsh reality is that unless you're a member of upper management at Perfect World Entertainment or Cryptic Studios, no one really knows the whole story. More importantly, People lost their jobs. People who worked hard to get into the industry and now have to stress about life without an income. So our thoughts go out to those people and their families. What we want to do now is analyze what we do know about the news and compare it with previous layoffs from other major gaming companies. Contrary to popular belief, the events are not a solid indication that any of Cryptic's live projects are doomed, including, and especially, Star Trek Online. To help us get an industry perspective on these events is industry expert Simon Ludgate, 
Simon has worked at numerous game companies, including Strategy First, Electronic Arts, and Gameloft, and holds a Master's of Information degree from the University of Toronto iSchool, with a focus on knowledge and information management. You might remember Simon from our analysis of Star Trek Online's free-to-play transition. Simon, thank you for coming back on the show after so long. Hey, it's great to be back. First, there's been an article floating around that was published back in November 2014 discussing the declining profits at Perfect World Entertainment. There has also been rumors that Chairman Yu Feng Chi offered to buy out shares he didn't already own back in January. How do you think this relates to the recent layoffs? Well, if it is a case that the company is not performing well, they're going to be looking for ways to cut down on any kind of expenses they can. And the easiest solution there is to look at positions that the company thinks that they can consolidate. So if they have two different people working on a similar task that are doing like, you know, 75% or 60% of the workload, they could potentially eliminate one and have the other person do all of it. Or they can look at uh, different sort of tasks or projects that just aren't performing up to standards and try to trim those operations down. So you mentioned earlier, so if there's a team of, you know, four or five systems designers and it could be handled by three, then the two would essentially end up losing their jobs. Yeah, plus the thing with game development to keep in mind is that all these projects sort of work in these sort of cyclical cycles, I guess, that redundant. But the idea being that you get into a project, you're like, okay, well, we'll develop some content or we'll port the game to another platform or we'll produce an expansion and in order to meet the demands for that project you often bring on some additional staff or move staff around from one part of the company to another to complete that project and once the project is completed you've got staffers that aren't doing anything anymore their task is done and this is where you have a difficult choice of either moving those staffers to other projects within the company presuming that your company has ongoing projects for those staffers or you let them go and so we often see this sort of cyclical layoffs in companies where a company has finished a big project and the industry is hit by a big layoff you'll you'll get these you know oh 20 people 30 people half the company has been laid off and this is not uncommon just because of the way the projects are designed, especially if the company is not very well managed or not performing financially uh, very well. It's interesting relating it to the development cycle, but if in this case a majority of the layoffs happened actually at Perfect World Entertainment, as reported, though we don't really have clear numbers yet, then it would seem as though Perfect World has no immediate plans to do anything as drastic as dropping a studio, like Cryptic, for example. Yeah, well, it seems unlikely that Perfect World would be looking to drop a studio completely at this time. They have been sort of in acquisition mode. They acquired Cryptic, not just for the IP, but also to get access to the people working on their games. They also recently acquired Digital Extremes to get access to Warframe. It could be a case that they've taken advantage of some of those additional staffers. I haven't heard of any layoffs at Digital Extremes yet. So they may be just reallocating talent uh, that they have within the company and trimming down some redundant positions. Let's talk a little bit about precedent. What other companies have seen this type of cycle, right, where there's massive layoffs? I believe actually even Blizzard not long ago had a series of layoffs and you have a game like World of Warcraft that's still churning new content. Exactly. Even with Blizzard, where they have a lot of big projects and they're still bringing in a lot of money, even they decided to can Project Titan, which was their sort of next MMO. They decided to keep going with World of Warcraft, uh, and that meant shuffling some positions around. So they were moving staffers onto Heroes of the Storm, which they thought was going to be a better project, their new MOBA, into Hearthstone, the, the collectible card game that has really taken off and also moving staffers around from World of Warcraft. Probably, I would imagine at this point in the game's development cycle, they're moving from two teams to one. So I'm under the impression that for much of World of Warcraft's time, they actually had more or less two separate teams working on every other expansion or every other set of content so that they could produce content at a faster pace, which is one of the things that kept World of Warcraft uh, going so strong for so many years. They're probably ready to kind of cut that down into producing stuff at a bit of a slower pace, keep it going as long as it's still profitable, but it's probably not their main focus anymore. So what we're probably 
probably expecting to see with the cryptic games, such as Neverwinter, well, probably not Neverwinter, certainly with Star Trek Online, would be to slow down the focus. They probably brought a lot of staff on, especially when they did the transition to free-to-play. They probably brought a lot of people to change the game systems around, and uh, eventually those are going to be shifted off to Neverwinter or to whatever the next project is going to be, and not everyone is going to make it through that transition. That's true. Cryptic did grow a lot after being acquired by Perfect World. During the last year where it was still under the aegis of Atari, I seem to recall they were down to sort of a skeleton crew. And one of the other odd implications is simply that for financial and management reasons, layoffs often happen in chunks. So if you've got a number of people that you think, well, we might lay that person off, we might lay that person off, that all might sort of accumulate in HR for a number of months until, all right, we're going to do the layoffs now and here's all 18 people. Some of the people may have seen it coming, some of them may not have, but these sort of decisions tend to pile up and accumulate until they're all signed off and done at once. Produces the appearance of big, sudden impacts as opposed to say having you know one person laid off a month for the past you know few months now it's all about profit right these are not non-for-profit organizations it's about making sure that there is money coming in and developed so when does a gaming company or a publisher look at a game and finally say all right it's time to pull the plug i mean how bad does a game have to perform for something like that to happen Well, that's a tricky question because we've seen some MMOs disappear quite suddenly and quite rapidly. You know, there was a couple cases of games that uh, disappeared after a couple of months, uh, whereas there's other games like Ashen's Call that have basically continuously run since they came out uh, well over a decade ago or 15 years ago. So it's difficult to know exactly when you're pulling the product off the market. There can be a number of implications, and it's especially difficult with something like Star Trek Online because it's a licensed project. They have the IP from CBS to use the Star Trek license. So, of course, the deal with CBS that determines their usage of that license is going to determine when they shut down the game. I mean, if they've paid in advance for a 10-year license, they're not going to shut it down after eight years, if, as long as it's still at least a little bit profitable. Particularly with Star Trek Online, we're seeing a lot of new content being developed on a monthly basis, and actors continue to get hired. So you wouldn't imagine that Star Trek Online is hemorrhaging in any way, shape, or form, but instead making a profit enough to not only continue the game, but pay for actors, pay for you know, a Screen Actors Guild relationship and hire not just Star Trek actors, but even we just recently got wind that somebody from Spartacus is voicing a character in the game. So when players look at a layoff like this, you know, we have a lot of people immediately crying doomsday, doomsday, you know, people crying maintenance mode. So I think that, you know, again, even in the speculation, it's important to try to identify when, you know, a company might be in trouble and when it's just a matter of, trying to boost the quarter profits. Yeah, and one thing to keep in mind also is that a lot of things in game development do take a while to happen. So even if they were removing a large amount of staff today, the game would probably still run for a while. They probably still have a lot of content deep into the pipeline. Even if they were to theoretically cut all production on the game right away, stop producing anything new, they'd probably still at least finish off what was there, which would still be at least a couple months worth of stuff. So it's not like it's going to be a sudden apocalyptic end of the game. It'll probably be more of a slow winding down towards maintenance mode. I can see when people say maintenance mode, I can do see that that could be a case. I don't know if you could go from 18 people or 14% or such relatively small numbers and uh, calculate that into maintenance mode. I mean, usually you're talking about losing half the staff before you're making serious changes to what you're planning on doing with the game. In a case like this, it's unlikely that the folks who got let go were due to performance. It seems like it was a major restructuring. Yeah, it could be a case of performance. It could be a case of not being able to adapt to a new task. You know, if you've got someone who's programming in uh, one programming language and you're switching to a different language for whatever reason and this person is either not able to or not willing to learn that new language, they might be let go to find another job in another company still using the language they're familiar with. There's a lot of different reasons why companies let people go. I think one of the telling things for me is that according to the massively overpowered article, is that a lot of it came from the actual Perfect World Redwood Shores headquarters, which essentially is marketing, community management, and essentially non-development tasks happen at that Redwood. And so if a lot of it happened there for all the games, 
that are controlled there, so Neverwinter, Champion, Star Trek Online, it seems to me more that it was, you know, like you mentioned earlier, if there are two people working on a game, okay, now we let's just bring it down to one. And it certainly could be a case that the company is determining that it's not getting a good return on investment on their community reach efforts with different games. They could be looking to centralize that into a single group that will handle community on uh, multiple platforms. And it could be a case of them trying to focus everything onto their ARC platform. Now, I'm under the impression that Perfect World relies largely on ARC to integrate all of their online properties. Yeah, they're pushed very hard to have players download ARC. I, for instance, am still using Steam. Others just run the game client a standalone. Well, it could be the case that they're looking to get all their community outreach through ARC as well. Instead of using forums or different means unique to each game, they're looking for something that they can put everyone together into one platform like ARC. That means fewer staffers as well. I don't know if that's the case or not. Well, Simon, I want to thank you so much for stopping by and chatting with us here briefly and giving us your insight from your experiences in the gaming industry. Is there anything else that we might not have touched on that you wanted to cover? No, that about covers what I can think of. Awesome. Well, thank you again so very much. Hopefully we can have you on again sometime soon to talk more about MMOs. Thank you very much for having me. You know, Elijah, and both of us have been through this. I've been through multiple reorg and restructures at the my previous company, and the last one led to me not having a position anymore. So I definitely empathize, and I've already seen some of the local gaming industry community rallying around like they often do when there are layoffs to try to find these people homes and I think that's really inspiring. I have friends that have been impacted by that sort of stuff in the business before and uh, just wish them all the best. Absolutely. I mean, you're right. We did just this time last year, you know, experience it and it's not easy, you know, and it's hard to sometimes even understand why an organization is doing it. Uh, I think bottom line, it's about profit. You know, it's about getting from that 10% profit to that 12% profit. And if it means putting a ton of responsibility on just one single person instead of splitting it between two or three people or a team of people, sometimes companies think that way. You know, even I got off, you know, I'll go a little bit personal. I was offered the sub position that paid less but had more responsibility before, you know, we were let go. There was no way I was going to take that, you know. So, anywho, we hope they land on their feet very quickly. So, Jace, a lot of important things are starting to hit Tribble. What do you have your eyes on? The biggest thing on Tribble this week is the addition of the captain specialization tree for pilot, which we're going to be talking about a little later with the dev blogs. However, there were also many changes to the sector space revamp based on user feedback and also internal bug testing. So hopefully that's getting a little bit closer to the way it's going to look when we see it go live with season 10. We also have a new queue available on Tribble, which Cookie has already tried out and has a review for us. And other than that, we have seen some bug fixes. Um, There is what some people are calling a DPS nerf, but what it really is is the AMP warp core was benefiting from other damage mods, including itself. So clearly not intended that it should buff itself. Is it still pretty much the best warp core that you can get right now? Yes, it's debatable right now. I haven't seen extensive testing. It's possible that the ancient warp core from the obelisk might be comparable to it or marginally better for anti-proton with its two-piece set bonus, but the jury's out on that, and if anything, it would be really close. It should only be maybe a 2% reduction in damage. Also, Bordicus's previously announced changes to the Embassy Plasma consoles is now live for testing, where instead of the damage over time effect, it does a plasma explosion, which seems to improve it over its current condition somewhere in a compromise between the low level of damage it does now and the extremes that it was hitting under the old plasma doping concept prior to the fix. It's no longer going to be affected by things like beam consoles, but it will gain a benefit from certain buffs. So, like I said, somewhere in the middle. Still will be worth using. That's good because I already made all mine gold, so... We have an update for the Delta recruitment event coming up in May. Specifically, some additional information about the rewards available to new Delta recruits. For starters, Delta recruits should be aware that missions will occasionally have additional objectives, key objectives for Delta recruits. Later, at level 30, you will be tasked to join a fleet, which brings some fantastic rewards that will really help fleets achieve whatever projects they are working on completing. And of course, as mentioned last week, there will be weekly server-wide goals. Now, the blog reads, 
These are tasks that are tracking things done and acquired by Delta recruits throughout the entire server. Achieve the target number, and the next week, a server-wide event will be turned on so every character, not just Delta recruits, can reap the benefits for an entire week. Once you hit that first goal, a new, larger second-tier goal will appear. If the server can complete that, the bonuses given in the next week will increase, and a final third tier can be achieved. Reaching this number will crank up the bonuses in next week's event to the absolute max. So Delta recruits are going to want to participate in these. And the nice thing is, is that it's not instance, right? This seems to be server wide. So it doesn't matter if you're an instance one or instance 52. As long as you get the objectives completed, you'll be able to earn bonuses for everyone, not just Delta recruits. Now, what the rewards, what the bonuses are, I'm sure will come in later blogs. My Gorn is ready. Well, I'll probably have to re-roll him, but... So, like, there's going to be, like, tasks, and then everyone in the game that are Delta recruits can work on it together? Well, for example, the first week, if I understand correctly, it's going to be for characters to get first-time completions of missions. So, like, for example, Minx, I don't know if you've done all the missions on her. If there's missions she's never done, those would count. But it's obviously geared more towards a new character going through the missions for the first time. Okay. Hey, Cookie, so you were on Triple and played the Herald Sphere. Why don't you talk to us about your experience there? Yes, um, it's a cross-faction five-player queue. There are three different difficulties, normal, advanced, and elite, although I only tried normal. The objectives get harder as you go, obviously. So stage one, you warp in, and there's three different gateways that look like square flat holograms and they show like different worlds and places it's really cool and the Iconian ships come out of those and you battle them kill everything off then a prompt appears to enter the gateway you go in either one of those three holographic things you could go then it takes you inside the herald sphere which is the beginning of stage two there you have several groups of enemies to kill, and the objective is to prevent the Herald forces from entering the gateways, so it keeps count of how many escape and how many are destroyed. The gateways spawn and despawn, so they'll move around throughout the map. It's indicated by the little circles, because there are several of them. There's a fixed time limit on this stage, so you just do the best you can until the time runs out. Then you have to go back through the gateway, back where you started, to help stop the attack on allied space, which brings you to stage 3. You just have to defeat the remaining ships. This part is timed as well, so when the time runs out, then you go back to the Herald Sphere for stage 4, which is the last stage. And the objective is you have to defeat the flagship in the amount of time you have left. And there are tons of other ships on the map, but the only one you actually need to pay attention to is the Sheshar Dreadnought. So once you defeat that, the mission's complete. Now, just to jump in, for anyone who goes and tries this out, a lot of the stuff in this mission are placeholder graphics right now. Like in the final version, it won't be an Alachi Sheshar Dreadnought because you're not fighting the Alachi, you're fighting the Heralds of the Iconians. And I'm not sure if uh, those holograms someone in chat mentioned are going to be new Iconian gateway imagery that are not implemented yet. So the Heralds are not Iconian. They are another species worshipping the Iconians. Right. Yo, do the Iconians do anything? <laughs> what SFC3 pointed out is that these are no longer people being manipulated by the Iconians or anything like that. These are their personal servitors. Like That's why they're called the Heralds. The implication being they herald the arrival of the Iconians. This is like the cannon fodder they're sending out to soften us up. Iconians don't do shit. <laughs> well, they don't want to send us fighting Iconians too soon because they should be extremely powerful. We don't want to be blowing up waves of Iconian ships yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I thought this mission was a lot of fun. I felt like the objectives were important, like I was doing something important. You don't need too much team discussion for the first part. Everything's pretty easy to understand. The second stage, you might want to organize your plan of action because you have to prevent the ships from going into the gateways. In the last phase, obviously, you want to target the right ship, so you, if you're not familiar with it, maybe tell the team which ship to target, But because there's so many ships, and when I played it, there was people not targeting the right ships, and all you really have to do is kill the one ship that's important to kill, so. Um, but for the most part, you could pug this, and everyone can just go to work, as long as everyone's familiar with the mission, so I like that. But it is still a work in progress, as Jace pointed out. And they're still making adjustments and taking feedback. So if you want to jump on Tribble, 
and try it out and give feedback. I look forward to the finished product when it comes out on Holodeck. We will put a link in the show notes to a thread where Bordicus responded to some questions about the special abilities, especially intel and command abilities used by the heralds and some tips for countering them. Oh yeah, I got disabled so many times and died. And it was normal. <laughs> so I don't even know what it would advance would be like. It was the thing that happens when you like don't have any abilities except for your engineering team or your science team. Oh, uh, yeah. And that's like the only thing I could press. Everything else was disabled. Well, Sarcasm Detector told me last night that he thought that the advanced or elite was going to be like no-win scenario where you go in with builds meant to do it. Looks pretty tough so far. Oh, yeah. I saw a YouTube video of the DPS League completing the elite. Cool. They made it look easy, of course. So in addition to the new queue and the new specialization, it looks like we're gearing up for a new featured episode due to release on March 26th with Empress Sela in custody at the hands of the Romulan Republic. It's only a matter of time before the Iconians show up to either kill her or save her. In the meantime, the Republic seems to be doing its darndest, according to this latest story dev blog, Debriefing Session 28, to get information out of her. They may not be torturing her, but they certainly are limiting her access to certain rights as a prisoner of war. It's a nice little side story that certainly captures Sela's political prowess. Hey Cookie, so you love that rock and roll. What do you think about the new pilot specialization? I'm excited about it. Here's what we know so far. Jeremy Bordicus Cryptic Randall, a systems designer for Star Trek Online, describes some new additions to the specialization system. With the launch of Season 10, the pilot specialization will be expanded into a primary specialization. There will be 15 more abilities, adding a third and fourth tier. Now don't worry, you're not losing any of the abilities you already have invested. The pilot specialization is just being expanded. The only changes mentioned to the existing abilities is that some might be improved. Speaking of improvements, the starship trait, Pedal to the Metal, will be enhanced and made available once all 30 piloting abilities are filled. Now, does anybody know if that means if I'm going to lose that ability until I finish piloting? No, that it means they'll basically be Pedal to the Metal and like Advanced Pedal to the Metal. Okay, good, because I only have three and if they get rid of that one, then I'll have two. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's like predictive algorithms from Intel. Like, I already have it with only 18 points in, but I'll get an enhanced version at 30. So you'll also be able to slot any primary specialization as a secondary, including the intelligence officer and command officer specializations. But if you do that, the only abilities available are from tiers 1 and 2. Spending at least 10 points in the pilot captain specialization will also unlock the ability to train your bridge officers in piloting. What are your favorite abilities that might be coming out of this? I really liked Scratch the Paint. Yes. It makes you immune to the damage caused by a warp core breach, and it says max 60 seconds. You can ignore one warp core breach per minute. So, like, if you get hit with a warp core breach the first time you get hit, you'll take no damage, and then it'll go on, like, a cooldown an internal cooldown where you, you don't really see it because it's not an activated ability, but for the next 60 seconds, you'll still get hit by warp core breaches. I also like Bob and Weave. It says that each time you're missed, you gain a stack of Bob and Weave, and then when it stacks up to 10 times... It increases the critical severity of your next crit. It stacks, and then it resets when you crit and starts building up again. Right. So for every time you're missed... But how often do you get missed, though? Depends. I mean, if you're elusive and fly at a high speed and have things to boost your defense. I mean, this is a build for speed tanking, you know, like trying not to get hit. You know, this would be perfect for the Rizian Corvette. Really? I have that ship. Definitely is that style. I really like Danger Zone, <laughs> but not only because of the name. Danger Zone, Lana, Danger Zone. But for every enemy within two kilometers, you get a 2% damage bonus that can stack up to 10 times. So when you're totally surrounded, you can do a lot more damage. Ooh, that's good for people that have cannons when they get really close. Mm -hmm. Okay, so my favorite is shield scraping because I like the concept of bumping up against the ship and messing it up a little bit. In this case, the it instantly drains a moderate amount of shield from the target you scrape against and it leaves behind a shield hardness debuff. So uh, that's pretty fun. 
Every time I bump into somebody, I'm gonna be like, and it does more the faster you're going. I love that. That is cool. That'd be cool to test that out. I want to do some PVE testing. So that brings us to our first community question. What are your thoughts on the pilot specialization? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO214 or on the forum post for this episode on the official Star Trek online forums. Again this week in an effort to bring you some of the news and comments from Perfect World and Cryptic that aren't officially announced in the blogs this week, here's the latest comments pulled from the forums, DevTracker, and the Twitterverse. At Salami Inferno, Star Trek Online's executive producer tweeted a picture of some of the devs playtesting some new content in Star Trek Online. I see... It looks like a Klingon-themed transporter. I mean, it looks like it. I don't know if it is or if it, maybe it's from Josana. It's like red around there. Doesn't that mean it's... Doesn't that mean Klingon? It seems to be, yeah. It seems to be some type of a Klingon ship transporter room or transporter area. When addressing a question regarding specialization respec, Bordicus took to the forums and replied, We still have no plans or intention to release specialization respecs. You can earn as many specialization points as there are abilities to purchase, so there's no such thing as a choice that can't be corrected by earning another point. Well, that's it from the Twitter and social media universe. We have some events that might be coming up soon, hey, Cookie? Yes, MMOgames.com is having a speed round battle of the MMOs. Star Trek Online versus Star Wars The Old Republic. So let's show our support. Voting ends on March 25th, so you still have time to click on the link in the show notes and vote for Star Trek Online. You can vote every eight hours. Don't get voter fatigue, though. Vote at Priority One Podcast's uh, Podcast Awards first. Oh, Star Trek Online is winning now. Yeah, yeah, we're ahead by a good amount. And coming up on Thursday, March 26th, there will be a new featured episode, Uneasy Allies, starring Denise Crosby. Well, that wraps up Star Trek Online news for this week. Let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Admirals, we're at the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. We want to remind you, last week's community question, the first one was, are you going to take advantage of the Delta Recruitment event? And what are your thoughts of it? On our Facebook post for this episode, Anthony Shane McEwen writes, No, I'm not. I don't have the time or money to slave away on another new captain. I have so much to do on one captain that I barely have time for the second. I went from six or seven captains down to two because of all the extra work you have to do now. Well, hopefully with uh, a lot of people doing the event, it'll unlock some XP boosts that'll even help folks like Anthony with the progress on their mains. I understand that at end game, there's a lot, there is money involved more so than as you're leveling up. So you really don't have to level up a character and make it your new main. Right. I have one Federation, one Klingon, and one Romulan. But because you do invest money in the game, a majority of it, a lot of the key things are character specific. You know, if I invest in this main right right now, which is my joint trail, I, I'm, I'm less likely, even if I do level this Delta Recruit to 50, I'm less likely to make that my main character. I'm wondering if that's the intention or what the intention is here. Is it to really get new recruits or is it for not only to get new recruits, but to also have players like us switch over and then invest in the new character? Because I can understand that and I do see that. I probably would level this up to 50 and that's it, just like I did my Klingon and my Romulan. But I would not invest the time or the money in getting it to end gear. No, me neither. I'm definitely not making this new tune to actually play with it because I'm just, I already have, I have one space tune and one ground tune and for me that's all I need. All these other tunes are going to be just to play with, maybe troll people, I don't know, but (laughs) it's not going to be a serious tune. Well, we'll also see what sort of uh, bonuses we have for the later weeks of the event. All we know is the first one, which is the XP boost. There might be other stuff that's worth getting. Chris Vasco commented on the Facebook post for this episode. Yes, I will be taking advantage of the Delta recruitment, hoping to get some friends and family to join me. I was worried about the event, but you guys have soothed all worries about it. I'll probably delete one of my low-level alts and recreate them for the period after getting the free character space. Similar to what I'm going to do. 
I created my level one Gorn, but I never played him, so I'm just gonna recreate him as a Delta recruit. Yeah. I had a friend that stopped playing for a little while, and I think he like logged in once or like I, I was like, yo, come on into the game and, and play. But I think I'm gonna send him an email and just be like, yo, all right, just wait till the Delta recruitment and just roll a new tune. Makes sense. Good job. Jay writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I will be making one Fed and one KDF with an extra slot we get for the event. Why not make a new one and try out the event to help in the war? I like seeing events for both advanced players and new players. This will be good for fleets to recruit and get to help out new players into the game. Chris Keen wrote on our Facebook wall, Thank you so much for covering the Delta recruits in episode 213. When I read the blog, I had no idea what a Delta recruit was, and I'm still none the wiser as to when it starts. I may start a new alt depending on what the rewards will be because ultimately my only reason for starting a new tune would be for it to benefit my main character. Well, Chris, I'm glad that we were able to clear that up for you. And again, the dates are April 2nd to May 21st. So you have well over a month, almost two, to get that alt to 50. That brings us to our second community question from last week. What do you think about event fatigue? Is an event each week too much for you and your playstyle? Or can you manage to participate in anything that Star Trek Online has to throw at you? I Ronk Aniak writes on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. As for events, I'm definitely on the play them if you want the rewards camp. If the reward is something I want, I'll do them. If not, meh. It doesn't really bother me that they happen so frequently, so no fatigue for me. If anything, I'd like to see more events with more variety of rewards. I'm Ruined commented on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Personally, I don't think there are enough events, at least not enough of the smaller events, given they would originally rotate every few hours and are now only every few weeks. Yes, they may last for several days, but there are plenty of small events that could be cycled every weekend that may not have been seen for close to two months presently otherwise. In addition to this, midweek events could also be beneficial to many players as not everyone works or studies Monday through Friday. Featured episode rerun events should occur more often also. I believe it's been well over a year since they were last available. That's true. It has been a while. I was wondering yes. about that. Either yeah. the featured episode rerun or one of those uh, lobby rerun yeah, events. Yeah, and where's yeah. the one where you can get the shard of possibilities? And That's it. That's the that's featured episode. That's the one I've been waiting for. It's like, when is that coming back? Mm-hmm. Elkanar commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. I somewhat agree about event fatigue. My biggest complaint is that if I miss an event, there's no way for me to get that item again. Sometimes it's a really good item like the Zephram Cochrane shotgun or the Breen Sarthelm carrier. There should be ways to get these items after the events, or at least the option to get it at the next event. I missed the Mirror Invasion in 2013 and I've never been able to get Mirror Hakeev. I was not able to choose that as a reward in 2014. Yeah, that's tough. I fortunately slotted the Zephram Cochran shotgun, even though I wasn't able to complete the event at that time, so I can do it next time. But <laughs> that means I probably won't be able to get both rewards the next time that the mirror event runs, so it depends on what it is. The Grand Nagus commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I think event fatigue is really just a lack of self-control. Events are completely optional, and no one is going to make you fly or shuttle or fight the crystalline entity if you don't want to. If people feel like they have to do every event, that problem is only in their mind. See, I get where he's coming from, but I'm surprised to hear that from Nagus. He's been a huge proponent of the concept of all types of play should have comparable rewards lately, specifically about the Dilithium rewards for missions and such. But I don't see how you could argue that something like the Omega Stabilization wasn't more rewarding than any other play during that time. I mean, I basically did almost nothing else other than doffing and whatnot, because the Omega Stabilization event gave you tech upgrades that were unbelievably phenomenal, saved you thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dilithium, or you could sell them for millions and millions of energy credits. I don't know, it just doesn't add up to me. Some events are so much better or so unique in what you get from them that you can't compare them to the rest of content. So if it's something you don't want or you're not interested in, you could not play it. But if I want to upgrade my gear, I need to be out there doing Omega Stabilization or I'm going to be grinding Dilithium for a month and trying to build upgrade kits. Yep, you're right. So you bring up a really good point about the Omega Stabilization game and the tech upgrades. So I earned a thousand of each color and a thousand shards, okay? That's a lot to have to craft through every five hours or less. 
Now, I may not be feeling that pain had, you know, would I have a tool like a gateway, a mobile gateway to the game where I can just kind of go on my phone and hit finish and start the new project. But since they're not doing the gateway, why can't the quantity for the special projects in the crafting system be more than five, especially for something like the Omega Stabilization game? Because it's going to take me forever to continue to craft for Omega tech upgrades when I can only do five shards at a time and then five fragments at a time. I think it's time that they, at least for that special project, they need to up the, the quantity. Please, please up the quantity for the specializations, especially that you're not going forward with a gateway. Please, just please do that. It's true. It took me a while, even with all five slots unlocked. For me, like, like if I know I'm going to be online for a while... I'll do the little, I'll try to make a bunch of slivers while I'm online, while I'm there, and so I can just keep on top of it. And then when I look, right before I log off, I'll slot something that takes longer, like a tech upgrade or a fragment. Well, the tech up, I'm not even saying adjust the time. I don't care about the time. Just let me change the quantity, please. Because for the five hour ones, I have to keep redoing it. I'm not going to log into the game every five hours to do this. So whatever, fine. Keep it at five hours for five shards, right? So if I want to make 10, it's going to be 10 hours. I don't care about the time. I care about the frequency and the quantity. So just, just change the quantity, please. Don't, don't, I don't care about the time. Just change the quantity. Please, please just change the quantity. You know what kind of blows my mind? The regular tech upgrades, superior tech upgrades through crafting, you can only craft one of at a time. Two if you crit. There's no slider. I wonder if that's like another thing that slipped through the cracks. What did you say? It. Say that again? You can only craft... Normal tech upgrades. Like if you're crafting a superior tech upgrade oh, okay. through the crafting system. Purple one. You can, They only take 15 minutes, but you can only make one at a time. I can't. You can't even do five. That's odd. Yeah. I don't know. I generally end up like multitasking or reading and then just updating it every 15 minutes. So with general feedback, we have Matt Miracle who commented on the Facebook post for this episode. What I really want to see is the queues become cross-faction. We've been working on our KDF fleet, and the Crystalline event has been a godsend. Queues take a while for KDF-specific ones to fill up, such as a Klingon fleet defense, but others, such as Colony Invasion, won't pop for tens of minutes or worse. It's really hard to generate fleet marks on KDF with a limited amount of queues with fleet marks that don't take an eternity to pop. Krell at Secret Apprentice tweeted us, Love the Priority One podcast. Keep up the good work. I like the honesty you guys have about how you feel about the game. Good or bad, it's refreshing. Thank you, Krell, and thank you for listening. Mike Millette commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com. That movie, Tonish, Delta Rising recruit piece that Elijah did should be banned. I was driving home from work while listening and laughed so hard I almost drove into a ditch. On second thought, it's probably not so bad. At least I would have been laughing while I was in the ditch. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. We actually had some pretty good feedback about that, uh, that skit. Yeah, Titan Electro commented on Reddit. That World War II-style recruitment skit was amazing. I'm glad everybody enjoyed it. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One. Or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 214 of Priority One Podcast. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Admirals, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community questions in the comment section on our site or on the STO forum post for this episode. This week's community question is, what do you think about the new pilot specialization? Will you be encouraged to take it up as a primary spec? Will you keep it as your secondary, or are you running something totally different? Let us know your thoughts in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or in the official post for this episode on the Star Trek Online forums. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter via at STOPriorityOne. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in-game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Admirals, we want to thank you once again for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. With your support, we've already hit our monthly running costs, and we are so very grateful to all of our patrons. Don't forget, even if you can't offer financial support, sharing our show with your friends is another great way to show us that support. 
as is voting for us at podcastawards.com. Coming up on the end of the campaign, every vote counts. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com, covering the ongoing development of Chris Roberts' upcoming space sim, Star Citizen. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your at handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And now, you can join our Klingon fleet division, Warriors of Priority One. Today is a good day to join, especially with Delta recruiting coming up. Thanks to our special guest this week, industry expert Simon Ludgate. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Ben Churchill, with support from audio assistants, Admiral Winters and Frederick Redegard. And to QA support staffer, Midnight Shadow 7, who also hosts Tribbles and Ecstasy. Thanks to our graphic artist, Romula Nail. To all of our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To the writer of our prelude dramas, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. To Chris Trone, our social media manager. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. You nominate anemones. <laughs> now, let's trek out the city on the edge of forever and head to Nerd Court and defend William T. Riker. What? <laughs> Good old right. William. This is Jace, some part, sync three. At the Perfect World Entertainment Redwood Shores office in North California. Northern. I almost said North Carolina. <laughs> I know. I, I, I read it in my mind. <gasps> ah, you did it. I read that in my mind. Oh. Did you inception me or did I inception you? I don't know. Oh, my God. I, I'm a believer now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not going to question it anymore. I feel like there was something else you asked me the about, science Elijah. Consoles? I asked you about the science. Yeah, the, the doping. Oh, right. It's not doping anymore, Elijah. So, Cookie, you are a fan of piloting, right? Why don't you talk to us about your... <laughs> I'm a fan of flying ships, is basically what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, Cookie, so you love that rock and roll. What do you think about the new pilot specialization? Well, uh... <laughs> You're right there. I'm sorry. That's not. This is not answering your question, but I'm just going to go ahead and start. No, hold on. <clears throat> there you go. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I got the giggles. I'm so sorry. Whew. <clears throat> oh, yeah, that was me slapping my own face. That's not right. But if you do that, the, the only, only abilities... abilities available. Yeah, okay, okay. That's right. But if you do that, the only abilities that are available to Say that again, because you laughed. Oh, God. But if you do that, the only abilities that are usable are from tiers 1 and 2. Oh, my God. (laughs) What? It's the same thing. No, say available. Usable is a weird word. Available. You just messed. Available. (laughs) Available.
So please delete my comment about no, scratching the paint. No, we need to keep paint. it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 we need to put in the bleepers. Bleepers? I'm looking forward to shield scraping. <laughs> I like the idea of bumping up to something and then, uh, you know, getting a bit of a... Okay, get a move to the right. Move more to the right. Would you sit, sit your ass down? Sit, move. You want to drive this thing? weird episode <laughs> why is it such a weird episode today I don't what's know. weird about it i don't know all our segs are real funky here's the latest comments pulled from the forums dev tracker and the twitterverse do you want me to re-say that yeah that was a little stay in touch with yep, sorry do that. <laughs> stay in touch okay mm, no smiles Ugh.